podcast, Monster Kid Radio. The host, Derek M. Cook. The song, Creepin' Up the Coast, from the band Aloha Cthulhu. It's from the album, The Call from Cthulhu, the instrumental. And they gave us permission to play this song on this show, on this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And like I said earlier, I'm your host, your writer, your producer, you're Derek M. Cook. How you doing, guys and gals? Welcome to the show, and I hope 2019 is treating you well so far. So far, so good on our end. And I'm excited for this week's show because I've got some audio that I've been sitting on for a while. Longtime friends of mine, longtime listeners of mine, people who know me know that I get really excited every October here in the Portland, Oregon area. And that's because October is the traditional time for the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival to take place at the Hollywood Theater. And I go to this thing, I've been going to this thing for 14, 15, I don't know how many ever years I've been in the Portland, Oregon area. I've gone, save one time. That was when I first moved here and I didn't know anybody and didn't know any better. I've been going to this thing and I love it and I try to talk about it on every podcast I'm involved with, whether that's my old podcast, Mail Order Zombie, or my current podcast, Monster Kid Radio. So what I've got this week is two recordings. I've got a recording of a panel that I was on and this panel was actually moderated by a good friend of the show, The Shadow Over Portland's Chris McMillan. The panel was called Of Vampires and Space Rocks, The Lesser Known Cosmic Horrors. Like I said, Chris was the moderator. I was a panelist, as was Dominique Lamsey's friend of the show. She's been on quite a bit. And then two people that you've not heard on the show before, but I'm working on changing that. One of these people is Ken Height, and the other person is Ray Garten. Ken Height and Ray Garten are both authors. Ken's also a game designer and a fellow podcaster, and he'll tell you about that in the introduction in the panel. Ken and Ray have both been speaking with me about coming onto the show maybe sometime this year to cover some other films. We've got some things that we're working on and I'm really excited to have them back as full-on guests. In the meantime, you get a taste, a tease of Ken and Ray as well as, well, you know what you're going to get with Chris and Dominique. I mean, that's just pure awesome. You're going to get them and they're going to get me and we're going to talk about some Lovecraft, some cosmic horror. Before that, though, I whipped out the recorder when I was just kind of chilling, hanging out with Chris and Dominique and friend of the show, David Heath where we just talked a little bit about our experiences at the Lovecraft Film Festival. It's a rather casual conversation, and where we were wasn't exactly the most quiet area. We were actually set up in what they call the Esoteric Order of Dagon building, which is really just the Portland Senior Center. We just take it over for the weekend and call it the EOD. And while we were recording in one section, there were some games taking place in another section of the building, so the audio is not as clean, but... The conversation is fun, and we're going to play that, then the panel, right after this. somewhat older and more drawn than I have in my recent pictures. It's because of the harrowing experiences I've been having here in The Maze. The Maze is the first picture in three dimension that delves into the weird and terrifying world of the supernatural. If you're familiar with the ex- 
exciting effects that can be achieved with 3D. You can imagine what happens when something from the great beyond reaches right out of the screen to clutch at you. Oh, and one more thing. After you've seen the maze, please don't reveal to your friends the secret of its story or its startling climax. Because, you see, we think the maze will amaze you. secret was hidden from the world for 200 years. Why was every door in Craven Castle locked at night? I went to your room and I saw something. Something horrible. It was the most horrible thing I've ever seen. It was your imagination. It was something alive. I saw it move. The terrifying story that startled the world comes to the screen in three dimensions. How do you do? We're about to unfold the story of Frankenstein. This is Tom Lang. And this is Bill Evenson. And we're the hosts of a new podcast called Frankenstein Minute. That's right. We've taken the classic Universal Studios Frankenstein films and broken them down minute by minute. In each episode, we're going to dissect one minute of Frankenstein. We'll talk about Colin Clive, who played Henry Frankenstein. Dwight Fry, his hunchbacked assistant. May Clark, Henry's fiancée. And of course, don't forget that monster played by the enigmatic question mark. We'll also talk about the director, James Whale, and the fascinating flourishes he brought to the picture. And Mrs. Percy B. Shelley, Mary, of course, the author of the original novel on which the film was based. And the difference between the novel and the film. This really is a classic film, the one that many point to as the one that started it all. Um, Dracula? Uh, sure. But, you know, seriously, one minute a week? How long is Frankenstein? Frankenstein is 71 minutes. Are you sure we can uh, keep this going for 71 weeks? Oh, sure, no problem. I mean, this is Frankenstein we're talking about, not Dracula. Good point. We'll discuss characters' motivations and talk about the great performances and John Bowles. <laughs> Don't forget Kenneth Strickfadden and his amazing electrical devices. We'll even reveal which of the lead actors grew up in sleepy little Chaska, Minnesota. Frankenstein Minute premieres on August 31st, 2018. Where? You know, the usual places, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. And check us out on FrankensteinMinute.com and Facebook and Twitter, if that's still a thing. Is Twitter still alive? Oh, it's alive. It's alive? It's alive! Belong dead. Let's prepare for a landing, Brad. Okay. In a 40G gravity atmosphere, strange thing happens to man's body and mind. Barry Sullivan and Norma Bengel take you into the most fantastic science fiction adventure ever filmed. 
Emergency! Emergency! Conditions desperate. Little chance of survival. Help us! Mark, look! What have you got? The galleot! Bert, get me a fix on this right now. Wes, Brad, controls. Planet of the Vampires. Harboring a form of life worse than death. Planet of the Bloodless. Creatures who take men's bodies, but attack like vampires. I'll tell you this, if there are any intelligent creatures on this planet, they're our enemies. In this outer space world, the living dead try to escape into life. Salas. No, just his body. And I'm just one of many beings on this planet. And we're fighting to survive. It's imperative that our race continue to exist. We arranged for several of you to kill each other so that we could take over your bodies. You are our last chance. No, never. We'll all of us give up our lives to save our own race. Bless you, moment, or just a cough? I mean, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing. Uh, oh, you know, oh, oh, there, there's, there's a tuning up so that must happen. What's his name? To get ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is Saturday night here at the Lovecraft Film Festival, and I haven't recorded anything outside of Dominique's reading, which. I'm going to go through and see if I can make sound great. Not that Dominique did a poor job, just the acoustics of the room. And for about 20 minutes, I had to hold a microphone pointed at her and my hand did not go. To, well, OK, it did go to sleep, but I'm going to hold Dominique responsible for that. Uh, I'm not here by myself. I wanted to record a little bit with with some friends at the left. I'm just going to go around the table. Tell us who you are and what you've enjoyed so far. Uh, this is Dominique, the aforementioned reader. Um, it, all the Japanese stuff has been working for me. Uh, Chiaki Konaka, who did a bunch of anime stuff, um, has been here. Uh, the idol group Necronomic Idol, um, who's just amazing because you can make Lovecraft sound kitsy because the Japanese can do stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> Chris McMillan uh, here. Hi, everybody, I guess. I don't know. It's um, easier to say what I didn't like because I've liked everything so far, but some of the highlights have been the short blocks, too. They did a... There was a beautiful um, stop-motion animation mix of The House of Seven Gables, which was great. Um, we just got done watching a um, tour of really amazingly, hysterically bad book covers, which was brilliant. Um, and oh, just so much going on, panels, readings. It's been great. Uh, my name is David Heath. And uh, I saw something called Zygote. It was, I guess, an attempt to, as what may become a feature movie. It had uh, Dakota Fanning in it. And she went against the best I've ever seen of a Cthulhu mythos creature. 
um, it was this basically her entire crew of this mining station got fused together. And so it had all these hands and it would try to, to get into a room. It would touch uh, the scanner with one of the hands until the right crew was authorized to, could get in. And it had this huge giant sack with had like a hundred eyeballs. And she went at it with this, um, this gun with exploding bullets and a fire axe. And it was just, it was probably the closest I've ever seen, but it's completely not a mythos creature. It's something that was created, I guess, by the guy who did um, uh, Sector 9 or the District 9. Thank you. This is Derek and my favorite. No, <laughs> y'all know who this is. Um, I've just had fun hanging with people. I, I only saw one block of shorts, and I loved the House of Seven Gables short, which also featured the voice of David Franken, which just so cool. And Monster Kid Radio listeners might know who that is. He did some movies with Vincent Price and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Appeared in this classic Star Trek episode. Cool guy. Uh, and I loved that short so much that as soon as I got home, first thing I did after depancing was uh, <laughs> look up the director for the film on Facebook and I reached out to him. I'm hoping that he accepts my friend request and we can chat a little bit more because I, I just want to know more about that short and the animation in it. It was solid work. So uh, I'm hoping I can further that connection. Um, so like I said, it's Saturday night. We have our panel here shortly, and then we've got all day tomorrow. Is there anything left other than our panel, which I'm sure is going to be amazing? No pressure, Chris. Um, <laughs> what else are you looking forward to? And I'm just going to go around the table again. The other way. Um, I'm going to finally sit down in shorts, see some shorts. I hadn't seen any this year. But also, there's a crafting making a Cthulhu, which I'm going to make for my daughter. So I'm excited about that. I'm just nervous that I'm not going to be able to see everything I want to see. I think tomorrow is time for some uh, features because this is one of the few festivals where I haven't seen a full-length feature yet. I usually, you know, tend to gravitate towards the films. Um, the afternoon, oh, there is something. There is the crafting, but there's also something I wanted to see. I don't remember what it was, but hey, fortunately, I've got a couple of programs. Uh, tomorrow is my last chance to see the King in Yellow movie. Um, I'm contractually obligated to see King in Yellow stuff. Um, and I will be the one teaching Dave how to sew a Cthulhu head, among other things, tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. What, what is the uh, King in Yellow movie? Um, it's called Corpse. And the only thing I'm consistently heard is the word psychedelic. So... I would think that of all the uh, the weird stories that get circulated around here that aren't Lovecraft directly, King of Yellow would lend itself to some psychedelia, I would think. So that, that might work. I don't know anything. Do you know anything about the movie other than that? Not really, no. So for me, I'm excited again to hang out with Chris and Dominique, and you're going to be here tomorrow, so it'll yeah. be awesome to run into Dave some more. Um, I'm gonna, I haven't seen any feature films either. The only films I saw were the shorts. And this seems to happen at the Lovecraft Film Festival. It's a film festival, but I don't see enough films to say I went to a film festival. Uh, but I am going to see the Clark Ashton Smith documentary. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I've been following that one for a while. And I, I know nothing about Smith other than he's like the third musketeer of weird fiction outside of Lovecraft and Howard. So I feel like I need to fill in my, my Clark hole. Oh, that you just came it. out of that my mouth. That came out wrong. <laughs> There's also a movie. Now, I saw that. I saw that. And I, th I thought it was very good. It's almost about two hours. 
And it really goes into who he is. And you can tell that the people who made it, not only do they know him, they love him. And that they are really respectful, but not too respectful that he's up on a pillar. So I thought it was very good. Right on. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And then I also want to see the uh, the movie, uh, the feature film, Necronomicon, Necronomicon yeah. book, The Book of Hell, which I saw a preview for at Rose City Comic Con when they did the little preview of the HPLFF coming up. And I thought the trailer looked great. And I'm a sucker for creepy books. <laughs> and, and the Necronomicon is like the creepy book uh, of all. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the things you think of when you think of Lovecraft. You know, actually, that'd be fun. Um, first thing that comes to mind when I mention Lovecraft, and I'll go this way around. Arkham. Cthulhu. <laughs> Province. Province? Yeah. Okay. I'd go Necronomicon because that's just, like I said earlier. All right. All right. Cool. Um, kind of cool that no one had, kind of cool that no one had the same answer. Yeah. And that's something that I've noticed with the festival too as the year's gone on that, or as, as the festival goes on, every year the, the Lovecraftian stuff seems to get more and more diverse. So, sometimes... It's hard to see the Lovecraftian element, like in some of the shorts we saw yesterday, but I, I do feel like there's a way to maybe kind of expand it and just do so much more. And it's something that Dominique was commenting on, that with some fandoms, like in Japan, you don't necessarily have to stick straight to the definition. You just kind of take it. And, can you talk a little bit more about that like you were telling us earlier? Okay. Because um, Necronomic Idol is it's a J-pop band. J-pop. I mean, I know what popped into your head when I said J-pop, and that is exactly what they did, except their lyrics were Lovecraftian. And they talked, I mean, they did a great song about Sarnath. Really? <laughs> yes, that was about, I'm, I'm going to carve the sigil of doom into your peridot heart for eternity. To like 80s, like aerobics music. And I'm just like, this is, this is amazing. Oh my God. Yes, it was. And, and it was some of the words are in Latin. Some yeah. of the words of the songs are in Latin. They did. They did a song called Azathoth. That it was basically every other line was Latin. But they like again. It was. I think that was one of the doom metal ones that they did. But it was. It was like an incantation. The the way because they vocalized it so well, and it's because in America especially we tend to stick very in your lane. Stay in your lane. You're doing sci-fi. Do sci-fi. You're doing horror. Do horror. And we have this certain set of expectations when we come to Lovecraft. So and one of the things I love about Japanese in general is that because they have kind of so many societal rules that when it comes to the creative stuff they're like screw this I'm doing whatever I want so you see you know cute little dancing skeletons everywhere and like dead bodies in kids anime and stuff like that it's just they're, they're, there's no real rules and I kind of wish Americans would do that more with Lovecraftian fiction Okay. And it wasn't it wasn't just the singing. They were dancing too. And you know, their dancing told a story too. It was it was just it was all combined. Yeah. Now I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around a J pop band doing doom metal. That I really shouldn't have missed. Wow. I was just about to say that, man. I, I'm glad that we did the, the bad book cover oh, yeah. show. That was fun. But I feel like maybe I missed out by not seeing that set. Uh, there are YouTube videos. I'll go and watch some of the YouTube videos. I'll try again. I, I didn't really get it when I first checked them out. But hearing what Dominique said, and it just sounds like it's going to be fun. And it's going to include 
things that I love, just maybe a different flavor. And I'm all about that, that's fine. Just bring it. I, I want to see it. See it. Um, one thing that happens to me at the Lovecraft Film Festival, I've talked about this on the show over the years, and uh, I talk about it with Brenda all the time. And people are probably tired of hearing me talk about it, but this festival. I always walk away from it feeling like I can't wait to go do this and create that and make this whatever. Years ago for me, it was about I'm going to go make a movie and now it's about I'm going to write something or, or create something or do something with audio. Does that does that happen to you guys at all? This is my battery recharging. And it, this comes at the time of the year I need it. And I've already in the last 48 hours got so many skeletons worked out of short stories that, yeah, this is where I recharge my batteries. I'm with Dave. This is my recharging point. I mean, I come in to this festival, and this gears me up not only for October, just to carry through the rest of the year and get stuff done. I am so energized by all the creativity, hanging out with you guys, meeting people I only see here. You know, I never see them any other time but here, and listening to them talk about their stuff, and it just, it's, it's, it's a recharge. You're right. For me, it's not so much a recharge as it is a learning experience. Because when I come to this convention, I always walk away feeling like, oh, I learned something that I can try. Um, so for me, um, I, the guest of honor is uh, Chiaki Konaka, who did the film Maribito. So just listening to him talk about, because he was talking about, you know, not necessarily traditional J-horror, which is a little more my thing, but how modern Japanese horror was influenced by old Hollywood and the things that they did differently and why they did it differently. And that was just like, okay, I have this thing here that I can use, so I want to use it. So I'm going to go home and write a bunch of J-horror is what I'm saying. I, I was in a, a writer's workshop today, and it's just like this message from this angel came down. I finally figured out what the difference between a scene and scenery is. And I've been write, in my writing, I've been confusing those two. And it's just like all of a sudden, nobody said anything, but just from that thing, it was like a message from heaven. How, how do you pronounce the guy's name again? The guest of honor? Chiaki Konaka. Mr. Konaka. Did I get it right? Ish? No, but close enough. Okay. Uh, he was involved in some Ultraman stuff. And just a shout out to Kyle Yount and the Kaiju cast. Uh, he did get a short interview with him. So pay attention to the Kaiju cast for an interview with him. They're going to talk about Ultraman. I didn't get one, but you know Kyle probably would have done it a lot better than me anyway. Because he's, he's better at those kinds of things. So that's coming up. Um, Chris, can you give us a sneak preview about the panel we're going to do here in a little bit? Sure. It's uh, basically the lesser known Lovecraft, uh, the lesser known cosmic horrors. You know, uh, space rocks and or space vampires and rock or vampires and space rocks. Something like it's that. It's your panel, man. Yeah, I know. It's been a long couple of days. <laughs> yeah, that that it's kind of the glaze over is starting to come in. I need to go home and get some sleep after this. But anyway, um, what it's going to be about is about the lesser known films that contain Lovecraftian horror. Um, if you're, you know, you know, if you know anything about the Universal horror movies or sci-fi movies in the '50s, you know that Space Rocks is the one I'm bringing up first, the Monolith Monsters, and we're going to take it from there. We've got a few surprises in store. So um, I remember we were talking. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Derek's like, oh, God, we are bringing that up. We'll see if we get to it. Um, but. <laughs> are we really? I thought we were just kind of joking when it. Is it? 
Oh boy. <laughs> we can it. I mean, it does kind of fit in. Uh huh. Um, yeah, we're not going to tell you what movie we're talking about. Oh wait. I never kid about that movie. <laughs> I am bringing it up, and just so everybody's clear, I'm bringing up Mario Bava as well. Well, of course you got to bring up Mario Bava. Um, so anyway, we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to we're going to talk about some of the le- some of the some of the movies that contain elements of cosmic horror or maybe Lovecraftian themes that you may not think about or you just may not know. So it's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. I am bringing up a kaiju movie, and it's not Rodan. Oh. Although Rodan's got some good stuff in it. I am bringing up a kaiju flick. Don't tell so, us. I'm not. I'm a, I thought that was the surprise you were talking about, but then he gave me this look. Like, oh, no. I. Well, it, well the movie fits. It really does. And, and you'll know what it is when Dominic brings it up. It's going to be awesome. This is just punishment for me because I kind of... <laughs> Did not move forward on the recording that Chris and Dominique and I were supposed to do yesterday before the festival. Correct. Oh, man. <clears throat> anyway. Um, it's going to become common knowledge uh, when we announce the lineup and that sort of thing. But the Plan 9 by 9 podcast, one of the people at this table is... Actually, all three of you guys are going to be guests. But one of them is one of the big donors. So I want to say thanks... To you, Dave, for being so involved in the Plan 9 by 9 podcast Kickstarter. Oh, you're welcome. I'm just excited to be part of it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> can we make Plan 9 Lovecraftian? Is there anything in there that we can bring in? Anything Edward at all? That's probably your department, Dominique. Is there anything in Edward? Mm, yeah. I mean, there's all the devil stuff at the end of Glenn and Glenda. Yeah. No. No. I don't think you can do Plan 9 because that's just a straight invasion film. And, and that's not cosmic horror. That's just invade, you know, that's just UFOs versus the military. It, it's, it's a lot of stock footage versus the military or, or vice versa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean stock footage. You know. hey, if you've got it, use it. And, and the movie that we're going to be talking about on the panel has a lot of padding. No! <laughs> the, closest, the closest I would say is that the San Fernando Valley is California's equivalent to Lovecraft Country. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. 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 Um, having not been there, um, I'll take your word for it. I'm a, I'm a California native, third generation, and yeah, 1950s San Fernando Valley is about as close as you can get to um, Dunwich. <laughs> and now I want Lovecraftian psychedelia from San Fernando Valley, California. Maybe not the 50s, maybe like the 70s. That's, that's what I want now. I, I don't know enough about it to write it, but somebody out there, please create this medium, this fiction for me to enjoy. This would be awesome. Um, anything else before I hit off on the recorder? Everybody's shaking their head no, not speaking, which is the best podcasting ever. Um, This was awesome. Thanks, guys, for letting me uh, shove a mic in your face for a few minutes. Before man believed he could fly, Jules Verne wrote about a ship like this. And this is our control center, the very heart of the Albatross. 
We have now reached a speed of 203 miles an hour, quite literally a ship of the sky. Vincent Price, perfectly cast as the idealist who pictures himself master of the world. His unwilling guests are Charles Bronson, Henry Hull, Mary Webster, David Frankham, four people terrorized into desperate action. Sentenced to terrifying punishment. I am a man unto myself, Mr. Prudent, who has declared war against war. That is the purpose for which this ship was built. You below, this is Robert speaking. Do exactly as I say, you have no choice. sit by and watch Rover decimate the entire world. And what else can we do, Mr. Strzok? Destroy the albatross. And ourselves with it? Moment by moment, you cross over new horizons with Master of the World. London ahead, sir. Are the leaflets ready for dropping? Welcome to Planet 8. Every two weeks, the crew at Planet 8 Podcast explores the many worlds of science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, monsters, and more. We cover the latest movies and TV shows, as well as old favorites, too. Yeah, like Planet of the Apes. It's a man A man Hey, guys, don't forget Star Trek. Fascinating. Or classic monsters like King Kong. Creature from the Black Lagoon or Godzilla. If it's nerdy or geeky, we'll probably be talking about it. So why don't you tune in and check us out? You can find us on iTunes or other fine podcast providers. Come join the conversation at our website, planet8podcast.blogspot.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. This is Planet 8 Podcast, signing off. End transmission. Listen. Do you hear? It's coming back. Turning the screen into a buzzing, crawling, creeping nightmare of terror. <coughs> this is the son of the original fly. Daring to explore the forbidden science of transmigration that brought horrible death to his father. You look as if you've just seen a ghost, old man. It was the fly. Fear that will fasten its choking grip on you as his weird experiments spawn the twisted monstrosities of a living hell. The rat man whose hands and feet are changed to paws. The living corpse who rose from his coffin. And the return of the fly, seeking revenge with a thousand eyes. 
smashing anything that stands in his way. Suppose he does come here. What if Philippe does not have the mind of a human, but the murderous brain of the fly? Then he will have to be destroyed. Before we get into the panel, just a couple of things I want to share with you real quick. Towards the back half of the panel, it's going to start sounding like some conversations just kind of stop and start abruptly. And, and the reason for that is because of how we had the microphones set up, the recording device set up in the esoteric order of Dagon building while we were recording the panel. I had my recorder attached directly to the mixer that ran the microphones for the panelists. What that meant was is that there was no microphone in the audience. So when Chris and the rest of the panelists opened us all up for questions from the audience, started taking audio feedback you guys and gals aren't going to hear it because it didn't get recorded because there was no microphone there so i tried to edit it together to make it sound as smooth as possible so if there's a jump here or there well that's why you're not missing anything other than somebody who asked a question from the floor and honestly it's not like i got permission to play them on the show anyway so there you go chris take it away man good evening everyone i hope you're having a fine time at the festival this year uh Anyway, my name is Chris McMillan. I'm the writer and publisher of The Shadow Over Portland. You can find the site shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. If you like fantasy, sci-fi, and horror events in the Pacific Northwest, whether you live here or just visit here frequently, please check it out. I try to keep a calendar running all year long of all the things happening, including festivals like this. Um, you are here for the lesser-known cosmic horrors. We're going to be taking a look at some of the films that you may not have heard of, you may not know of, or you may not think have a cosmic horror element, but they do. So um, my introduction's out of the way. Let's start on down the panel. Uh, I'm Kenneth Height. I'm a tabletop role-playing game designer and podcaster. Uh, half of Ken and Robin talk about stuff. I have most recently in the Lovecraft space done the game Fall of Delta Green, I am currently revising and expanding Tour to Lovecraft and writing the sequel Tour to Lovecraft The Destinations for my Kickstarter backers, but we'll be opening that up to pre-order just as soon as someone finishes the manuscript, and that's me. So I'll let everybody know. Uh, my name's Derek M. Cook. I'm the producer and host of the Monster Kid Radio podcast. Woo! Talk about the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear every week. We are slowly coming up on episode 400. Uh, and we're uh, just having a blast with it. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's my primary claim to fame here, and I focus a lot on the classic horror. That's what I'm also a huge Lovecraft fan, and you can also find me on my writing website, monsterkidwriter.com. I'm Dominique Lampsies. I am a writer and sometimes crafter. You can find my Etsy shop. It's called House of Silent Graves. I basically recreate monsters from old horror movies. In plush form, so you can cuddle them, because you should cuddle your monsters. <laughs> My name is Ray Garden. I'm a novelist, the author of Live Girls and several others, and I hope I can add something to this panel, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we are going to be talking about some not-so-classic movies, um, but I'd like to start off the discussion with one that um, just isn't very well known. It came out in the... Um, the cycle of universal sci-fi horror films in the 50s, and that is the monolith monsters. Giant space rocks. Now, this is kind of a offbeat movie. I, I understand why it's not as well known, because it doesn't have the visual image of like a giant tarantula going across the desert or anything. What it has is humanity threatened by rocks. Um, unfortunately, they're rocks that uh, draw silica out of everything, including people. And once they start drawing silica, when they're hit with water, rain, they grow to gigantic proportions and then reproduce by falling over and shattering into pieces. And each of the pieces just keep growing. So you're talking about a ro- uh, rock from outer space. Um, we're, we're given a little science lesson by uh, Paul Fries in the intro to this. Coming from outer space, who knows where, could have been targeted, might not have. So anyway. Uh, since uh, Derek is just on tenterhooks waiting for me to say it. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'll say uh, the, the, the cosmic horror movie that is the cosmicest of cosmic horror movies is Quatermass and the Pit, a.k.a. Five Million Years to Earth, uh, directed by the immortal uh, Roy Ward Baker. It's the third and best of the Quatermass films. And it has everything. It has uh, demons. It has psychic powers. It has archaeologists. It has romance. It has Quatermass. It has Martian ant ghosts. It has a fight with a crane. It's just amazing. And it also has the quality of cosmic horror that is uh, what Lovecraft mastered, the fugue narrative in which you keep opening the narrative to find, oh, no, it's bigger and worse. And every time a discovery happens in the movie, if you watch it, it makes the problem not just more dire, but larger in scope. So they think, man, the, the, this uh, this ha- this uh, street has got hauntings all the way back to medieval times. Oh, look, there's cavemen in the strata. Now, now we're back even farther. Oh, my God, this is not a, a Nazi sh- uh, rocket. It's a spaceship. And everything just keeps getting bigger and bigger until finally the mystery of humans... Uh, nature and civilization is called into question by the film. It's a masterclass in expanding scope, which is the core value of cosmic horror, because anyone can put, um, uh, you know, a plate of calamari behind a green screen and say, ah, but to create the uh, part of it that is cosmic is that's what you have to do. You have to open up the minds of the characters and then ideally of the, of the viewers to the, irrelevance of humanity and the presence of vaster truths than we are physically capable or mentally capable of comprehending. And that's what Quatermass in the Pit does. Well, now that brings up a question I was, I'm eager to ask this panel because I've always thought about it. We've just gone from um, ghost grasshoppers piloting a spaceship to Earth to a meteor that crash lands by accident. So we've gone from something super intelligent to something Okay, I did it earlier. Oh, God. Something that's as bad as that's as dumb as a bag of rocks. Um, which he's here all week. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a question of the panel, which do you find scarier? The cosmic horrors that we don't know about that are intelligent? or that are not intelligent, that just are random happenings in a grander scheme of the universe? 
they're both pretty scary. I mean, they're both uh, the, the one that's not intelligent, I think, is a little more frightening because it's detached, to totally detached from us, doesn't care. We are insignificant. We're insignificant to both of them, but the, I don't know, there's something more malignant about no intelligence. I feel like if, because I, I, I think I'm with Ray on this one, because if there's an intelligence, there's a motivation. Yeah. If there's a motivation, you can foil it somehow. Maybe not in the ideal way, but, and if something is just complete chaos and just happening because it's happening, you can't fight it. You can't stop it. Yeah, I think if you start thinking intelligence, you start thinking about intent, and then you can start getting, you start getting closer and closer to the August or Lethean good and evil kind of thing that he kind of put in. And, and I don't know how cosmic horror that really can be. Uh, that being said, and I, I know you made, I know you really wanted to make that bag of rocks joke. <laughs> I was but, dying for um, that. And I know you said, I mean, they're just rocks, but do we know they're just rocks? That is true. We you know, never find do, out. Do they exist on a plane or, or do they have an intelligence or a psyche that's so far removed from what we're able to interpret as reality that we just view them as rocks? And, I mean, it's so terrifying. They're not taking anything away, but, I mean, do we know that that's what they are? Well, they obviously have a growth and reproductive cycle, which suggests something. M maybe, but so does maybe. fungus. You yeah, know I mean? so do. But that's look anyway. Um, I'm looking up the name of the movie because I've forgotten it, but the I was going to have basically your answer there, which is that the scariest to me is a thing that Lovecraft sort of hints at with Azathoth, you know, the idiot chaos at the center of the universe, that the intelligence exists on such a vast scope that we can only perceive a random or idiotic fragment of it. And the example in film... That I was uh, Tim Powers, of course, does this uh, magnificently with uh, uh, the Endless. Oh yeah, the most recent example of something like yeah, that, yeah, where you have a cosmic. Uh, first of all, it does what I talked about—the expanding revelations. Yeah, but it also, once you've expanded it, at best, the thing looks like it's arbitrarily torturing people, but that could also be entirely random. That the human stratification on it, the human barnacles encrusting this phenomenon torture because that's what we do as a species. And the notion of this sort of random event or this wave passing through humanity, leaving the worst of us in its wake is, I think, sort of the, the sweet spot for cosmic horror. So not to be the guy who says, well, it's kind of both. <laughs> well, it's kind of both, right? I, I, I love that. And when you can get what Lovecraft did was that with Azazoth in a film or in a any other kind of a narrative. I think that that's terrific. Oh, that sounds like a great answer to me. Now, um, we've talked about two films so far. Derek, would you like to bring one to the table? So uh, I wanted to try to come up with something that was just unique in terms of discussing Lovecraftian themes and topics and is there a story that we can correlate and that sort of thing. And there are a few that, that I came up with. One that I probably want to mention is the movie Gorgo. Hear me out. Gorgo is a British kaiju film, basically. It's, it's the British version of a Godzilla movie. And it's... Gaiju. It, it, gaiju. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, are you familiar with the movie Gorgo? 
I mean, it's a great film. I, I love this movie quite a bit. I love a crowd where everyone nods when they're asked, are you familiar with yeah. the movie Gorgo? It's like, of course. <laughs> Get to the point, Derek. There's a great Blu-ray of it. Highly recommend it. And it's it's a giant monster movie, but there's a little bit more to it than that. And if you watch that movie and you read the collaboration that Lovecraft did before at Martin's Beach, I believe it's the name of the story, mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of potential parallels here. So that's, that's probably where I'm going to start. I have some other movies that I'll bring up later. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to bring up a movie that I saw here at the Film Fest a few years ago. It's this um, really difficult to find, I think it was a BBC movie called The Stone Tape uh, from 1972. Yeah, oh yeah. The great um, Nigel Neal. So yeah. good. And that one is, I, I know it was Lovecraftian because I'm watching it and I'm actually not really understanding like 70% of what they're saying because it's so like scientific and like uber detailed and stuff but I get the basic gist and I understand what they're getting at and for someone who doesn't like science like me I, that's that's kind of part and parcel to Lovecraft honestly um, Fiend Without a Face Ooh. oh yeah does, right. that, does that work? Okay. that certainly that's got, could that's, they, they start out invisible um, then they Become brains with antenna that are <laughs> eating brains. Uh, Fiend without a face. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah, it's one of it's, those that's especially the ending is just amazing. Movie. <laughs> Anyone want to throw something else in real quick? Um, I'm going to mention like a scene from one movie that most people probably wouldn't think is cosmic horror, and that is from the. Japanese movie Rodan. Now, you don't think of that as cosmic horror. You think of that as big prehistoric lizard bird, you know, yeah, kaiju, um, you know, terrorizing, you know, Japan. But there is a scene that if you've ever played the Call of Cthulhu role playing game and you wonder what a critical failure on an insanity role would be, <laughs> it's that scene in the cave where the main character, and I forget his name, um, is stuck with all those little insect-like uh, things, comes across a giant egg, Rodan pops up. Now, I know in the film it's implied that he turns around to run, falls, hits his head, and then it just that triggers his amnesia. But it's like, no, he gets up and just kind of staggers away, and you can hear his brain just going, nope, nope, not seeing anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, yeah, that's what happens when you roll one. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's another great moment of Cosmic War. I don't even know if it's a whole scene, but in the original Godzilla, mm-hmm. when they find the footprint of Godzilla on the beach, and we haven't seen Godzilla yet. We just know he's out there, and we've heard maybe some noises. We haven't seen him, and they find the footprint, and you're like, first of all, that's a scary footprint. You're already worried. <laughs> but then they look in the footprint, and someone says, that's a trilobite buried in his footprint. And the hair goes up on your arms because you're like, oh, that's not just a big <laughs> dragon dude who's going to – that's deep time coming back to kill everybody. And that – I mean, Godzilla is a great film, but it is not cosmic horror to the letter, right? But that moment in it – and I think that's something that – I mean, Lovecraft complained endlessly that he could only get moments of cosmic horror in his own stories. Uh, but, but that moment in Godzilla is so pure and so beautiful and so true. The only other movie, I think, in the whole 1950s that compares as far as that moment goes is the moment in the uh, Howard Hawks, The Thing, when they're backing up 
and backing up, and you suddenly see that they're making a saucer shape in the ice. And for that instant, you are just taken out of the movie and out of yourself and think, oh, this, yeah, this got, and, and it's that opening of scope, that door opening that I talked about in relation to Quatermass, because that is that moment where the ground drops out from under you vertiginously and you are confronted with the immensity of the cosmos. Yeah, and, it and, also, and then it turns out it's a carrot that hates you. But, you know, well, you for know, a James, moment. James Harness can be scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not least to Peter Graves. Especially, especially in, in the shadows, right. like yeah. they kept him in. Yeah. Um, I also love the way that they set that up where, you know, they start going out. And all of a sudden, when they get to that point where you know it's a saucer, the music just dead stops. And it sounds like a bad edit. Mm-hmm. But then you realize, oh, they're just letting you think about it for a sec. <laughs> yeah. Before they go on, you know. Get this. Look what's down there. I want to follow up on the Godzilla thing, and you mentioned Rodan. I think, sure, the later kaiju films in Japan, especially later in the Showa era, and especially the Heisei era, the movies start to get a little silly. And, you know, and, and Toho knew what their audience was. It was kids. But if you look at the earlier output from Toho or Dae, who was doing Gamera, I think you can get a little bit of that as well, because when you see these giant things, these giant creatures that lived somewhere that we happen to be as well, but we never saw until it just, it really put, kind of puts you in your place in terms of cosmic importance. If there's a Godzilla, if there's something making Rodan eggs underneath the earth, what else is out there? And, and how long mm-hmm. has that been happening? And how long have we been cohabitating with this thing without really realizing it? No. Oh, um, and can we build a robot to fight it? Yeah, and can we, yeah, yeah which is very important. Uh, in the 70s, they, uh, Toho put out a movie. Uh, that The English title is Space Amoeba, which um, mm-hmm. it's also called Yogg. has nothing to do with Yogg Sabah. It, it's basically a giant squid thing walking around. The costume's not the best, but, you know, uh, but it's got tentacles. So, you know, some people might say it's Lovecraftian. But I, there is a moment in that uh, that is very similar to the Rodan moment or the Trilobite moment. And it's after the monster attacks and decimates a village and, and the scientist and a photographer and a woman who's there because they needed a woman in the cast uh, find a survivor. And he is just catatonic. And, yeah, maybe it's just, you know, he saw his village destroyed. But, again, it's one of those moments. He failed a sanity check. There's, there's something that he just saw that makes no sense in his sense of reality. It, it should not be. Despite the fact this is in Japan and, well, they've seen Godzilla for the past 20 years. This should not be, but yet it is. And it did some real things to his friends and his village and his body. And it, it's just a great moment. And it's a fun film. Trollenberg Terror. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Out. Yeah, that's that. You were you, the things you were saying about that movie reminded me of that. That's mm-hmm. qualifies. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That, that really is. Um, Another one I like to think about as far as cosmic horror is it doesn't sound like it should be a cosmic horror movie is the original Universal The Mummy. Now, sure, you've got another great, oh, he failed his sanity roll because he saw The Mummy moment. But what really made this, it's got a couple of different things. First of all, the ending is very, to me, cosmic horror-like because you've got the scientists who have figured out that Imhotep is going to kill the woman who he thinks is his reincarnated bride or lover. And they go racing to stop him. It's men of science. And Emotep just kind of freezes them in their tracks. And it's only when, I forget the character's name, um, Zeta, well, her the actress, Zeta... Um, Johan. 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 
remembers that, yeah, there is reincarnate. You know, I was this. And she prays to Isis and Isis smacks Karloff down, basically, which implies that there's something out there more powerful than us, older than us, elder godlike. Um, that we didn't know about, but also it plays with the idea of tainted bloodlines because this woman is walking around with no idea that she is the reincarnated spirit of something until it's brought out. You know, it may not be as mind-destroying to her as it is to some of Lovecraft's, um, you know, characters that find out they've got something hidden within them that is not quite on the up-and-up. But, you know, still, it's, it's a Lovecraftian moment in that, I think. Uh, my opinion. Well, originally there was going to be a little bit more with the reincarnation um, mm-hmm. parts of that film kind of played up, and, and I don't know exactly why you didn't see it all, but th- there was more looking in the pool and seeing more previous lives and things like that that was originally going to be part of that film anyway. So, I mean, th- there's more of that. Yeah. I suspect it was budget. Well, I'm sure some of it yeah. was budget, and who knows what else. And probably running time, too, you yeah. know. Did you want to bring it up? Oh. Okay. Please do. Oh, okay. Here we go. Stay with me on this. Oh, this, this is I, I agree with her on this okay. one. Okay. There's a movie. Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans know it. It's called The Creeping Terror. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So this monster crashes on Earth. Maybe intentionally, maybe not. The writer was too inept to tell us which. And it re- proceeds to escape and eat people to analyze them. We don't know what he's going to do. We don't know where it's from. We don't know if somebody sent it. We don't know who would have sent it. It's just here, and it's eating people to analyze them. And it's going to send all the information it gets from these this creature off into space somewhere. We don't know. What's out there? What's, what's waiting for all this information to come in? It's like the narrator, because they didn't really do a good job recording sounders said they did something wrong with that uh said just you know, one thing pardon think well, i said one thing wrong with that? i said the sound <laughs> okay I, I'm, I'm just going with the sound all right we can talk about the monster all you want i love that thing mm-hmm. uh, but but um you know i mean as as the, the narrator tells us the scientist said you know oh hey and you know who knows whoever's gonna receive it could be dead but then there's that just keep watching the sky moment yeah yeah, right at the end. Any comments on that one? There's got to be. So, on my podcast, I try to be pretty positive about every movie that we talk about. I'm the guy who is launching a Plan 9 from Outer Space podcast. I love Monos, The Hands of Fate, and I watch it straight. <laughs> the Creeping Terror is a difficult one. Uh, for me, it put me to sleep repeatedly when I watch it, watch it recently, and... Uh, I have a lot of things about that movie that I would not say in my podcast because, again, I like to try to be pretty positive about it. Um, what Chris and Dominique just said about that movie makes that movie sound like it's incredibly deep and, and is riveting. It's got this great – no. Okay. No. Uh, no. I did not no, mean to convey that at all. It's not deep. Uh, it's not. No. It's got – It's not. No. No, no, no. But somehow even the most – Inept person sometimes taps into something that is... <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's totally an idiot savant moment. Yeah. It is absolutely an idiot savant moment. Yeah, the, he just tapped into something that, that is bigger than what he probably was, or what the writer was probably thinking about. You know, it's like, oh, why don't we do this? Wow, that was a great idea. Why couldn't you write better? 
and get a better budget and get better actors and record the sound. You know, whatever. You're still pondering. No, just the Creeping Terror is one of those movies that that hurts me a little bit. Um, I, I'm going to need a mo- another moment. <laughs> okay, well, let me put this question to everybody here since Derek brought it up. Man us the hands of fate. Don't blame this on me. I'm, are you, okay, but I'm saying, is it? Well, what do is you it? think? The, the, the presence of magic or hypnotism or whatever the hell that is, is does not make something cosmic horror. It just means there's a dude with a magic power and a crazy outfit. I'm not talking about the dude with the crazy outfit. I'm talking about the fact that they drove to a place that has no connection to anything else in the known world. And that there's weird people who are clearly screwed up in the head doing weird things that we can't fathom. Whether or not there's magic, there's something clearly that we don't understand happening. I here. mean, again, the, the Lovecraft does more things than just cosmic horror. And the fact that, yes, that's a Lovecraftian trope. Yeah. Uh, innocent people take wrong turn. That's, yeah, but that's also a lot of other horror. Uh, and it's, uh, and it can be as c- conventional, he said, as the hills have eyes, which is just, Oh, they're just cannibals, you crazy kids. Or it can be, you know, magic weirdness a la Manos Hands of Fate. Or it can be frickin' Dunwich Horror, where, oh yeah, there's straight up, you know, the Yog Sothoth is down there getting it on. So the 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 the, the trope of took wrong turn, people are fucked while potent, uh, is I don't think necessarily uh definitive on the question of is it cosmic horror. To follow up on that though, there was a sequel to this film that came out a couple of year uh earlier this year, I believe. Well I think it, it came out on DVD the, earlier this year. Yeah. Um it's about as official a sequel as you're gonna get to Manos. It's called Manos Returns and it's got three of the retur- three of the original cast members in the film reprising their roles. Who hurt you, Derek? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, um and it was produced here in Oregon, um because Jackie Who hurt you, Oregon? <laughs> uh, the, the little girl uh, lives in Oregon, um, but she's not a little girl now. She's an artist in, I think, Salem. I don't know where she lives. Anyway, um, it does kind of expand a little bit on what you're talking about here and even takes it a step further that once you're there, you can't really leave easily. And and it does expand a little bit more on the, the, the bleakness. I don't know if it would go for on cosmic. Maybe it's a little bit more Lovecraftian. I did talk to the director of photography and he did mention that he, they were trying to add some Lovecraftian things to it. I, 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 was it successful? I see the movie. Find out for yourself, I guess. But yeah. And, and I agree. I mean, okay. The possibility was there in the script. But it, uh, as we all probably know that um, you know, Warren probably wrote it down on three cocktail napkins in the bar after he made his bet that he can make a movie. Um, you know, um, but the elements might have been there. Well, I'm trying to decide whether I should... Okay, no, I'm just going to say it because that'll kick my uh, backside in gear. Um, having written an audio drama based on Monos, I tried to incorporate some of the Lovecraftian elements I felt were in the original script that never got out so hopefully sometime in the next year or so well i told you i'm trying to kick myself in the butt and get it out there um hopefully in the next year or so we'll be able to tell you about that you can let me know if i did it or not does anyone have a question not about manos hands of fate (laughs) this is really hurting bothering you isn't it again 
<laughs> well, okay. we have spent more time thinking about Manos Hands of Fate than everyone involved in Manos Hands of Fate. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone out there have? Oh, yeah. wait. I mean, Life Force is straight up based on a Cthulhu Mythos novel. It's based on the Space Vampires by Colin Wilson. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Life Force is absolutely, it's, it's a straight up Cthulhu Mythos movie because it's based on a straight up Cthulhu Mythos novel. It just loses the plot. But does it lose the plot more dramatically than, say, the, the 1960-whatever-it-is Dunwich Horror does? I don't know. I mean... The, the, Are you talking about Dean Stockwell? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. 1970s. 70, uh, right, yeah. yeah. Well, I would say it's at least much more entertaining when it loses the plot than the Dunwich Horror. Yeah, because I like that movie. Come on. I, mean, I, I like that I movie too. Great deal. Don't get me wrong, but wow. I mean, Life Force, when it goes off the rails, it's not only going off the rails. It goes off the rails, jumps on another track, jumps off those rails... Jumps on a bridge and jumps off the bridge. The I mean, thing, it's the the good thing about the last two thirds of Life Force is that it turns into an apocalypse movie, mm-hmm. right? Which many of these movies they imply the apocalypse is like, oh, if this gets out, you know, like, civilization we know it is destroyed. Life Force is like, oh yeah, we we've, we've destroyed it, and you know, the in London is a blasted netherworld by the end of Life Force, <laughs> and they're and they're talking about should NATO nuke London? I mean, this is not a small potatoes movie, even in the sort of uh, a weirdly uh, constrained version that we saw uh, in the theaters. And the European cut, while different, is not any more cosmic. It's just a little weirder. So, so yeah, I mean, Life Force is straight up. I mean, Little Shop of Horrors, um, that's just a, a, oh, look at that, a second intelligent species. I mean, is Day of the Dolphin a cosmic horror movie? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I, I I like Little Shop, but everything can't be cosmic horror any more than everything can be vanilla. That's true, and I, I think Day of the Dolphin wouldn't be cosmic horror unless they say all of a sudden the dolphins say thank for the fish and fly off, right? <laughs> or or they start saying you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. I, I want to see that movie. Yeah? yeah, yeah. If you read the short story Dagon, that is basically the sort of you know scribbled nightmarish first draft of Call of Cthulhu. That's basically just a kaiju movie in that he doesn't see anything scarier than a giant frog monster and that there was a race of giant frog monsters at some time. And then he goes and he does a whole bunch of drugs and he's worried that there's a frog monster. I mean, <laughs> that is not. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, that is not implicitly more or worse cosmic than, you know, Godzilla is. I mean, maybe. Godzilla versus the smog monster, not so much. But Godzilla, <laughs> you could certainly read it that way. You could read Godzilla sure. as a Japanese version of Dagon, basically. I think it depends on the film. Like you said, they, they've given Godzilla and the others so many different origins uh, as they've gone on. I think if you look at some of the ones that's treated a little bit more seriously, like the original Godzilla, which is just phenomenal, um, versus, say, like, I don't know, Godzilla versus the smog monster, like you yeah. said, or something like that. I think it really kind of depends on which film and how they approach it. Yeah. Yeah, and it also depends on the intent. I mean, like I said, there may be something that could have been extended into that realm, but the script was more interested in doing something else with it. I mean, for example, we all know of stories by August Derleth that don't manage to make Cthulhu cosmic horror, much less something else. Whether or not something has certain sort of uh, tropist characteristics doesn't make it cosmic horror. What makes it cosmic horror is does it actually open up that door in your skull. So to some extent, that's going to be an individual response. If you saw Godzilla when you were eight, I'm fully prepared to believe that that is cosmic horror to you. 
if you saw it when you were 38 and it does the same thing, then maybe we all need to have a little talk with your, you know, <laughs> uh, high school principal. But, but the notion of, of cosmic horror, because it is a emotional response, is an individual response. And so when we say is, is not, including when I say it, you have to sort of say to what extent is the author or the director or whoever intending to make it that response. And to what extent is that response a sort of, uh, median response of people? Because I'm sure there are people out there who can read Call of Cthulhu and say, eh, it's just a squid and he gets hit by a boat. We're fine. I don't <laughs> want to know those people. Though. Those, no, those of course, people, those are terrible people. I, I, they are I, terrible. I, I don't think I see anybody like that in this audience. Um, yes. She creature. Okay. So that yeah. film, a lot of that monster is the result of um, some hip- hypnotism gone bad, basically, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great Paul Blaisdell monster mm-hmm. design. But I have honestly, I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so I'm a little sketchy on the on the detail. We are putting you in charge of she creature. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, it does have that con- that concept of uh, deep time. That, well, that's true. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the idea that she is the reincarnation of this primordial female archetype thing that happens to be a lizard woman with boobs. <laughs> Which are so practical for lizards. Yes. Sure. Well, that's why she's so mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, that, if that's the thing, then if we're going to like regress and there's something, whatever. I mean, that's what I was a teenage werewolf does, too. I mean, he hypnotizes him and brings him back to a previous stage. And then he turns into Michael Landon with a bunch of, you know, foam in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, I don't know it's just that's... a G-rated altered states. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, again, I love that film, but I, I don't know. I would. I would. Where yeah. He, have right. you guys seen a largely forgotten movie called The Maze from 19... 19- Thank you for bringing that up. Okay. I um, Have you seen it recently? Yeah, not recently. Oh, it's it's but phenomenal. It is a really bizarre uh, movie. Richard Carlson is the lead. Yeah. And, and he's the lead from Creature from the Black Lagoon, to, to put a, a face to him. Uh, he's fantastic. The movie was originally released in 3D, and it did get a Blu-ray release, I believe, this year for home viewing in 3D. Uh, I actually was hoping Brian and Glenn would be able to get it at some point and show it here because it's great. Yeah. Uh, it deals with um, hereditarily passed down kind of responsibility. There's a monster in the middle of the maze. Uh, just, it's, it's really good. The 3D effects. I've never seen it in 3D. Um, I haven't seen it in 3D either, but it's obviously we're trying to make a 3D movie. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a few shots where it's very clearly coming at the camera. Right. And there's one shot where the camera got locked in a weird position, so you only see like the top of an actress's head. But uh, beyond that, the movie is phenomenal, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, it is a great movie. Well, good thing someone else saw it, because I haven't seen it yet. I don't know about So good. Yeah, well, one of these days. Waiting for someone to say Caltiki. Yes. The Blob's Gracie, your cousin. Uh, Caltiki is one of those that I think they were actually trying for cosmic horror and just sort of missed, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think we've talked about Caltiki before, and you shot down the rumor that it was actually mostly shot by Mario Bava, right? You would know more about that than I would. Um, most, I think the the tame people sitting around talking stuff was Ricardo Freda. The actual like we're gonna get down and dirty and make the monster and make the tripe move. That was Baba. That, okay, that's what I've heard as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I mean, I've, I've I've heard it all kinds of different ways, and people go back and forth and take credit. Well, um, and, and but, even even Baba's like, no, it wasn't me, and yeah, well, <laughs> no, it wasn't. I, I wouldn't no. take credit for it either. <laughs> oh, why? I mean, I mean it's, it, it, it's basically it's it's. I mean, you want to give a pressy of the plot for people who don't. <laughs> um, okay. For those who haven't seen it, Caltiki's basically, like you said, the greasier version of the blob. <laughs> um, it's about a bunch of people, archaeology, uh, South America, somewhere. Central America. Central America. Oh. They find this pool 
um, where sacrifices were done and a whole lot of gold down below. And of course, someone goes down to get all the gold and they awaken this blob-like thing that apparently is powered by radiation. And the last time it was active was when a comet that's coming by in a day or two passed by the Earth. It's one of those movies that really reminds me that, you know, not everything back in the 50s and 60s was really tame because if you see some of the effects, uh, some of the effects of Kaltiki eating people, they wouldn't have made it in the blob. It's pretty <laughs> gnarly stuff. But it's also really, you know, interesting movie. Cosmic Horror, I don't Personally, I don't know. Again, I, mean, I think there it's, is the it's kind of an August element, of a movie yeah. in that people wanted it to be cosmic horror, and it just doesn't get there. I mean, I, I love it in my heart because it's got a comet and Mayans and a blob, and that's great. But, you know, you, you can't love a movie into being good. You can just love a movie into loving it. Once again, I think maybe the elements are there, but that's not where the filmmakers were going. Right. Yeah. Or wound up going. Yeah. There's also a, a Boris Karloff film uh, that he did in the UK after he became big in Frankenstein uh, called The Ghoul that I would recommend people check out. There's a lot of uh, Egyptian um, imagery and, and motifs and, you know, I want to live forever and all this other stuff. It's not quite there, but it does have some of the Lovecraftian elements that we do find in some of Lovecraft's stories. So I would recommend people check that one out as well. If you're As long as you get past Karloff's uh, unibrow, the movie's solid is that how you can tell he's a ghoul yeah well, got a unibrow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna cut in here real quick so earlier when i said that we didn't record or, or you aren't able to hear the audience's questions and feedback in this case somebody from the floor asked us about the three quatermass films from hammer and this is what happened yes Good films. I'm on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all three of them have great little crappy moments. Yeah, I think no, the, I mean, the third one is the Nigel Neal, the, the creator of Dr. Quatermass and the guy who wrote all three of the movies, uh, was straight up a uh, cosmic horror guy. He wasn't really a gigantic Lovecraft fan. I mean, he read him, but he did, I don't think he liked him. He didn't like his uh, pro style. He didn't like his sensibilities. He hated his politics. But he had the same sort of bleak, scientistic view of humanity that Lovecraft did. So it was sort of a coincidence, really, that he winds up writing the best visual cosmic horror ever in the Stone Tape, in the Quatermass films, uh, in other things that are uh, cosmic horror in sort of different amounts. And uh, the, the Quatermass movies are an interesting sort of spin on it because – they are very much, uh, the first two especially, are very Faustian movies. Mm -hmm. That they are, uh, Dr. Dr. Quatermass personally is searching for knowledge and ruining the world. Yeah. And it, the sec the third one, at least, he's the, the, the guy who comes in Henry Armitage style and tries to fix it. <laughs> um, he doesn't do a particularly great job, but it does get fixed. But in the first two, it's very much the quest for knowledge is the quest to destroy yourself. That it's a, a sort of an, an extended suicide wish. Mm -hmm. And that element is in so much of Neil and in, to an extent, a great deal of Lovecraft, if you look sort of one level down, that uh, those parallels are just super striking. So if anyone hasn't seen the Quatermass movies or watched the Quatermass shows on uh, – so some of them are on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a region free, you can probably get them from Britain. Um, they're uh, they're all like that. And they're, and they're super great and very uh, corrosive on all human institutions. I mean, Quatermass 2 <laughs> is an indictment of – 
politics, democracy, the military, and religion, I think, as yep. well as science. And you get a little bit of giant monster action in it, too, right. so, yeah. which is a lot of yeah. fun. The Quatermass Conclusion, which is also, in, in some ways, the, among the most cosmic of all of them. Uh, because, again, it takes place in an apocalypse, and it has the, um, uh, the, the sort of the great weird science of the hereditary knowledge of the um, uh, stone circles that's passed down almost by folk memory. And uh, the notion that information is passed along on the uh, olfactory nerve, and we don't perceive it because we're not aliens, but that's why our olfactory nerves are so strong. Uh, there's a lot of just uh, really great co- uh, concepts dumped in that. And also, of course, Nigel Neal saying, see, I told you society was going to destroy itself. Look. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but yeah, the um, uh, Quatermass 4, in, in many ways, is the most cosmic of them. But because it has as its center that human dra- drama of Quatermass looking for his um, uh, his granddaughter, it feels less cosmic in a way than the other three do, which are the science is front and center and if there's a lady in the movie, it's like, well, look at that, a lady. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> One thing to me about, you know, when we're talking cosmic horror is you got to really kind of differentiate. And this brings up the um, the life force slash little shop of horrors thing. One thing you have to differentiate is, is it, a, is it an invasion movie or not? And I think when you think invasion movies, you're thinking like um, War of the Worlds. You're thinking, um, you know, invasion, invasion of body snatchers. Yeah. Well, yeah, to a point. Day of the Triffids. The word invasion is right in it. Yes. <laughs> but the idea is that these creatures are coming down to take to over the planet um, for materialistic reasons. I mean, you know, they want something here. Um, where Cosmic Horror is just kind of like, well, that's where I would go with the uh, Invasion of the Vice Snatchers. Cosmic Horror is just kind of one of those chance You're things. saying that we're just accidentally in the path of those seed pods. Yeah, basically. Like we were in, in the path of the monolith rocks. Exactly. Right? You yeah. know, we're just accident. They just happen to be here. They've drifted through space. They land here, and they're taking us over just because that's what they do. Whereas I like to see that as they're, they're wagon trains, right? We're the West for them. <laughs> <laughs> and they just show up and settle. Yeah, and that's another thing that brings up about the idea of intelligence. Are pod people really intelligent? Because we see the end results, and they're just basically the same people. They've got no concept of what happened you know, before. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're different. We don't have emotions, but we remember everything they know. They're not any smarter. So, I think those are the although they have a certain hive sensibility to yes. them that we yes. don't. Which okay. is okay. Well, what about a movie like Planet of the Vampires, which is actually a little bit of both, mm-hmm. yeah. because you've got these intelligent creatures that want to survive, and it just so happens that it's humans that show up there, there that they can take over. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and yeah. also, and also a unsung influence on Alien. Alien. Uh, yeah, I, if anybody hasn't seen Planet of the Vampires, watch yes. it, and then you will just see, oh, hey, Ridley Scott saw this, because that's the same <laughs> shot or at least as it. Yeah, yeah. And, yes. it, and it's a Mario Bava film that he put his name on and was happy yes. about. And so. it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. Yeah, on that, on that note of um, uh, 1950s uh, SF uh, movies, I would say Forbidden Planet. Although it's actually The Tempest, oh, yeah. it feels a lot like At the Mountains of Madness to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Good call. When, when you see that the, the, the Krell have disappeared, but they've left behind their Shoggoth, their id monster. Yeah. I mean, that's very, very strong. And uh, Robbie the Robot as the sort of, you know, good half of the Shoggoth, the, the slave Shoggoth that's still tame. Yeah. That's There's a lot of stuff going on in Forbidden Planet that is 
I mean, over and above the greatness of doing The Tempest in space, yeah. it's just a great movie and on a lot Phenomenal of levels. Phenomenal film. Yeah. And I'd like to throw one out just to see what you guys have to say about it because it's probably my favorite horror movie. Are there any cosmic elements to The Black Cat, 1934, Boris oh, Karloff? So I mean, there's madness. We can be friends. Absolutely, <laughs> right? I mean, but, so, but I mean, and there's architecture that is a signifier for evil in the yeah. same Lovecraftian way. I would say yeah. you can see Lovecraftian qualities in it or things that Lovecraft and... Uh, Edgar Ulmer were both concerned with because That's obviously right, yeah. Ulmer never heard of Lovecraft. I'm pretty sure, yeah. and I know that Lovecraft didn't see Black Cat. But you can, but you can look at the at the at the sort of concerns that they all have with uh, traumatic uh, psychology, with mm-hmm. um, family uh, uh, poison, and and things like that, and with uh, the architecture, uh, especially modern architecture. I mean, Lovecraft yeah. would have loved that part of it. That. I told you modern architecture was evil, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but the story is at its base, it's, you know, it's the hills have eyes, basically. It's, and, and so it's not, it's it's got a human quality to it, despite being phantasmagoric and crazy yeah, yeah. in its affect, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, yeah. So, I love that I movie. Love that movie. Don't movie. get me wrong, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's very many Lovecraftian elements to it, but... Wow, what an amazing film. If, if you haven't seen 19... It's 34, right? If you haven't seen 1934, it's The Black Cat. One of Boris Karloff's and Bela Lugosi's greatest collaborations. So good. And be sure you see the one with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi because they remade it in, what, 40-something? Yeah, they've done it a couple and times. 43, yeah, yeah, and it's... It's yeah, not the same no. movie. Yeah, no, without that set, no. it's not the same movie. Yeah, it's I mean, Ulmer... Oh, man, just his yeah. set design, his aesthetic is... Yeah. Beautiful in that film. And so crazy. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I, I wrote a whole uh, Trail of Cthulhu scenario in, inspired oh, really? by it. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Slack Chateau. Awesome. In which the, the house is an outpost of Carcosa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Because that's how much I love that house. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. I got to mention Horror Express. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Horror Express, uh, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Telly Savalas, and it works uh, on a train that is not going to go where it's supposed to go. It's a great film, uh, 70s, kind of an Italian-Spanish co-production, uh, wonderful music. And it, and and it does do so the awesome. thing where it keeps revealing worse truths. Yes. Truth. But it doesn't go up and out, really, even though there's the sort of putative ancient fossil. It still feels very sax romery in the sense yeah. that mm-hmm. there's that, you know, sort of earthly evils are what we're concerned with. Mm-hmm. Which is great, but I, I I don't have that deep time sense, even though you because you, you get a head fake toward with that fossil, yeah. But it doesn't really pan out. I think sure. it's just, well, what it's I'm, just mentioned that it's taken over by something other by right. something Some other of, of this world, right. yeah. yeah. Um, but you, you don't know if it's a demon or an alien, but it's probably mm, a demon. Um, I do have to add into your bit about Telly Savalas and works. You have to mention that Telly Savalas plays a Cossack um, soldier. And it works. Yeah, Kojak is a Cossack. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that could be a TV series I would watch. Right. Um, <laughs> who love you? I will kill you if you do not tell me who love you. <laughs> I'm going to throw out one more because it's a favorite of mine. It's kind of an underappreciated sci-fi horror one, um, Event Horizon. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, hey, there's a few people who have seen that then. Everyone loves the first two-thirds of Event Horizon. <laughs> well, because it's the really part that's kind of Interesting, yeah. you know, I mean, you've got this spaceship that they designed to 
project a wormhole on itself so it can travel to space. It vanished. It came back. Things aren't cool. Um, it does get into a little bit of an action film towards the end, which kind of deflates it and a little bit hellraisery. But still, it's it's the idea of science finding a realm that's not in our best interests. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the first two thirds of it are are, are very cosmic. I mean, it, it's straight up, you know, sort of from beyond uh, mm-hmm. uh, dreams of the witch housey. Mm-hmm. Well, we went into hyperspace. Oh, that was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, the architecture of the ship as well. Oh is God, right. it's gorgeous. I mean, it's uh-huh. the way the ship looks itself. I mean, if you want to talk about you know Lovecraft's fetish for some certain architecture. Yeah, it's almost like Black Cat in space as far as the architecture goes. <laughs> yeah, the um uh, the science fiction horrors. Uh, I will leave you with the observation that uh, the s- classic Star Trek, the original Star Trek episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Yes. Is at the uh, Mountains of Madness again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way you can tell that it was on purpose is it was written by Mr. Robert Block, who definitely knew what he was doing. Well, don't they yes. even have a line in there like the old ones? Yeah, oh, yes. The yes. Old yes. Ones yes. In the dialogue. And it's Ted Cassidy that says it. <laughs> yeah. Works, man. It's awesome. The old ones. Yeah. It's very good. Did you see that they were saying? Oh, yeah. I I was looking at the clock, too, and we've got to go because they're setting up a panel. Thank you for coming, everyone. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the festival. We'll see you around. To unexplored planets captured by unknown powers. Yogg, monster from space. Against me. An irresistible, terrorizing monster. We have merged ourselves into the giant crab of the jungle turtle. Monsters never before seen. The unconquerable. The unbelievable. Yog, monster from space. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. Human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Yes, sir, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. 
and what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. picture of our time has ever unleashed shocked spectacle of such scope and realism as up from the depths of prehistoric mystery rages Virgo. The headlines of the world blaze the fabulous story of this monster from another age, catapulted from some vast sub-ocean cavern by unprecedented volcanic action. And the headlines scream the story of the reckless skin divers who captured the monster and put it on exhibition. Stop! Pull out! Drop the net! What do you think you're doing? Okay, take it easy. I can't let him go back to the sea where he belongs. Why? Maybe to save your silly skins for you. Hurry, hurry, hurry to see Gogo! But the headlines do not record the story of a little boy who had a curious sympathy and understanding for the fantastic creature. What strange secret does he know that scientists only suspect? You're trying to say there may be a fully grown one of these things around somewhere? How big would a full grown one be? An approximate guess. The infant. The adult. That would make it nearly 200 feet tall. Wreaking terrible vengeance against the civilization that has captured its offspring. Towering over the cities of the world as millions flee its awesome terror. can stop it, defying the force of the army, the might of the Navy. Try number one, Tony. Ready to open fire, sir. Fire one. Even the fury of the jets. In a crashing crescendo of sights never before beheld by human eyes and adventures never before experienced by any man or woman. Huge thanks to Dominique Lamsey's, Ken Height, and Ray Garten for being part of the show this week by way of Chris McMillan's amazing panel. And big thanks to Chris, of course. And big thanks to David Heath for being part of the show as well. I had a great time this week on the show, kind of clearing the decks of some old audio that I've been meaning to put out. And that said, I've got other old audio to play here on the show in the form of recordings. I've got at least four recordings, uh, conversations about movies with people on deck. And honestly, I don't know which one I'm going to do next. So you're going to have to stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net or Monster Kid Radio on Facebook to find out what's coming next week. It will be a more traditional episode of Monster Kid Radio and that I'll have a guest on and we'll talk at length about a particular film. But which movie will it be? You've got seven days. 
Well, I've got seven days to figure that out. You know, I mentioned our website. You can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio at our website. Again, that's monsterkidradio.net. And we have our contact information there where you can send us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call us and leave us a voicemail on our voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Also at the website in the show notes for this very episode, you're going to find links to Ken's podcast. You're going to find links to Ray Garten's books on Amazon. You're going to find links to The Shadow Over Portland and Dominique Lamsey's website. So check that out if you want to follow up with any of the guests that have appeared here on the show. And you know what the heck? David Heath even has a website. We'll make sure there's a link to that as well. So go check any of that out. Now, of course, if you do check any of their websites out, let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. would really appreciate it. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Please consider joining the group and liking the Facebook page, retweeting the tweets, or following me on Twitter. I'm really easy to find. I'm at Monster Kid Radio. I'm also at Monster Kid Radio on YouTube. And here within the next week or so, we're going to see some new YouTube videos coming out for the Monster Kid Radio channel. Get in there and subscribe now to the YouTube channel, and that way you won't miss the next video that'll be coming out where I kind of talk a little bit about what my plans are for 2019 for YouTube. And you know how YouTube works. You can get in there and click the little bell for notifications. I want to thank everybody again for being part of the show. And you guys and gals, thank you for downloading the show and sharing Monster Kid Radio posts and tweets with everybody and just promoting the show on your own. I really appreciate it. There is one thing I'm going to ask you to do if you are a Facebook user, something specific this time around. You know, on Facebook, there's a place for you to click on what your activity is. You can say you're watching a particular movie or a particular TV show or you're reading a particular book. You know, one of the options is to say that you are listening to something specific. Well, while Monster Kid Radio won't auto-populate and it won't have a fancy link, if you're on Facebook, please consider noting that you're listening to Monster Kid Radio when you're actually listening to Monster Kid Radio. I don't know if it does anything for us Facebook algorithm-wise, but it might be kind of cool just to kind of see more of that and then maybe put a link to monsterkidradio.net or the Facebook page in there as well. If you follow me on Facebook, you saw me do this very thing, but not with Monster Kid Radio, but with the Kaiju Cast. Now, Kaiju Cast is a podcast produced by my friend Kyle Yount. You guys and gals know him probably. He's active on Facebook. He's a Monster Kid but more importantly, he's a kaiju kid. Okay, more, more importantly, he's a heck of a guy. He's a good dude. He's a good friend. He's a great podcaster. And they celebrated their 10-year anniversary earlier this month. How amazing is that? Now, Kyle does this thing on the Kaiju Cast where they do a live show. They call it the Emergency Broadcast to celebrate their anniversaries. And they did the Emergency Broadcast on the 13th of January, you could have listened live and, and participated in a chat room. But if you didn't listen live, you can still download the show as a podcast, which you can find over at kaijucast.com. Of course, it's available on iTunes and everywhere else. And look them up on YouTube as well. In fact, side note, look up the documentary Hail to the King, 60 Years of Destruction on YouTube because that was directed by Kyle Young. It's all about Godzilla fandom in Japan. It's so cool. Okay, end of side note, back to the Kaiju cast. I just want to say congratulations to those guys and gals over there. Kyle has been a very important figure for me in terms of my monster kid dumb and my podcast dumb. And, and I'm going to tell you why. One, and I think I've told this story before, I did not know the Kaiju films 
for a long time. I, I knew what Godzilla was and that sort of thing, but I hadn't really watched any of them. That changed one year when Scott Morris was out visiting and Tom Beagler was there as well. The Hollywood Theater held a screening of King Kong vs. Godzilla. Kyle introduced it. I had a blast watching the movie and that really started me on my path of going back and making sure that I had seen all the Godzilla and Kaiju films and, and Gamera films and all those. And now, while I'm not the expert Kyle is, I've seen nearly all of, well, what's out there, and I love them so much, and I've really fallen in love with Ultraman, and I really have Kyle to thank for a lot of that. The other thing, though, is, and, and I told Kyle this earlier today, in fact, he might not have known this, and I don't think I've really shared this with anybody, but he kind of sort of inspired the format of Monster Kid Radio, and, and specifically what I mean here is the Kaiju cast is always Kyle, but he also has guests on the show. People like Jeff Dean, Rachel Cook, Charles Babbage, and yeah, a whole bunch of people are on the show. And those are just people that I know off the top of my head. And I'm forgetting a ton of people, and I'm really sorry if, if you're listening and I, you didn't hear your name. I, I know that he's had so many people on the show in the past. I've been on his show in the past, and he always tries to keep it fresh. He doesn't have the same person on the show every single time. He has repeat guests, sure, but... You know, if somebody can't make it, somebody else comes in. Or if somebody's visiting from out of town, they come on the show. And it's really cool to get that kind of rotating stable of guests and co-hosts. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? One of the reasons why I rotate guests here on the show and have different people on every week and, and try not to do back-to-back -back the same person, just try to keep it fresh, keep it rotating, is because I heard what Kyle was doing on the Kaiju cast. I really liked it. I really liked the dynamic of having different voices there and how each show felt different but still related because Kyle was kind of there guiding the ship. I wanted some of that for Monster Kid Radio, and I took that from Kyle. So, Kyle, I don't know if you listen to Monster Kid Radio, but if you are listening, I'm going to tell you again... Thank you, and congratulations. Okay, that brings us to the end of the show. Once again, thank you for listening. And remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Creepin' Up the Coast, the instrumental from the band Aloha Cthulhu, who you can find at alohacthulhu.bandcamp.com. Look up the album The Call from Cthulhu, the instrumental. You can buy this six-track album for a dollar. In my mind, they have severely undervalued this thing. It is worth so much more because each one of these tracks is so cool. Big thanks for them letting us play their music here on the show. Go check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Ciao. Ciao.